0: I used to be... Not when you brush every day with...
1: A special plastic... episode three of hp tv hey brendan how are you
0: i'm doing good i've got that air horn energy in me right now
1: i'm kind of feeling it too i don't know i'm feeling very manic tonight <laughs> we're both a little spicy tonight very <laughs> so what have you been up to
0: Uh, well, as you are well aware, because you've been the one to edit them, uh, I've been neck deep in the final girls, Berlin film festival, uh, the past few weeks I have watched, I think a hundred short films and four feature films. And I just want to give one of them a shout out real quick. It's from XYZ films. They've done a lot. They've destroyed a lot of good stuff. It's called my animal with, uh, Steven McCaddy. Uh, i I forget the lead girl's name, but also one of the girls from Bodies, 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 isn't it? And it's this, like, psychosexual uh, lesbian in a small town, but she's also a werewolf movie. And it is... It's it's spectacular. I, I just want everyone who is interested in that
1: description to go watch the movie. Reading the reviews, that movie and Booger really stood out to me. Oh, Bo- Booger, Booger was so good. I... I don't know about you.
0: I love seeing New York proper in films. Like I hate when a film is like, we're in New York, but you can obviously tell they filmed in Canada. And they, yeah. I love when, when New York City gets films shot in the actual city. And there's just something about Booger taking place in New York uh, that, that really, it, it felt nice. But Booger was really good. My Animal was really good. I, I highly recommend both of them.
1: Well, I hope they come to streaming soon. Um, do you have any idea? If they will be, or is it still too soon to know?
0: Um, you know that is a good question because the two other features that I watched from this festival are on streaming: uh, "Tiger Stripes" and "Somewhere Quiet." "Booger" is not on streaming yet. Um, I do not recommend the movie "Somewhere Quiet." It was. Oh, uh, my animal is available for rent on YouTube google play movies and tv apple tv voodoo and amazon prime nice
1: i saw uh she is conan is actually now streaming i got to see that at brooklyn horror i wasn't expecting it to come out so soon i'm very excited to watch it again streaming. did uh
0: did you watch his first movie um after blue dirty paradise
1: yes i did what was it's on, i think on it? it's on shutter now
0: yes yes it is yeah
1: I mean, I love any of the Altered Innocence movies. They're like my favorite.
0: I couldn't get into Dirty Blue. I 1 million percent appreciate everything that he did to make that movie and how weird and uh, different it was. I appreciate everything that went into it, but I didn't enjoy the final product but I would still rep the
1: movie uh, 1000% because it's like this weird goopy lesbian space opera in French yeah. right and it was in French I don't remember I think it was yeah yeah um, you you
0: if you you follow Kyla on Twitter right yeah uh, she's been sharing uh, posts in the r slash Conan the Barbarian subreddit about this movie and it is absolutely hysterical. There's a subreddit for it? No, for Conan the Barbarian, like like the actual oh, okay. IP of Conan. And, yeah, a lot of men are very upset, and I kind of like it.
1: Hmm. Speaking of angry men over strangely nostalgic IPs, have you watched the new He-Man? I didn't know there was a new He-Man. Oh, my God. Kevin Smith has been, like, doing... um an animated version of it. He had one come out maybe like a year ago that everyone shit on. Mm. I really loved it. Sarah Michelle Gellar does the voices in, in one of them as one of the characters, and part two just came out. I haven't watched it yet, but I need to. What What is it on? Netflix.
0: You know, Netflix
1: doesn't promote anything. Yeah, I know, and then they get mad when no one watches their shit, and then they cancel it. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I, I was never uh, never big into He-Man. I never really was either, but I would watch a remake, reboot. I like anything animated, so I was down okay. the moment I saw Kevin Smith was making an animated version. I think I'd check it out. I really got into it because I was obsessed with the new she that came out. It was so good, maybe like five seasons, and then it ended, and then we got He-Man. Okay.
0: Yeah, He-Man and uh, Xena Princess... I know Xena Princess Warrior. I don't think that was animated, but I was never really able to get into... the In, like, Highlander and and even the original Conan movie, Um, I just was... I'm not able to get into that stuff. I find it difficult.
1: I feel like Xena, I tried my best to watch it as often as possible. I think it was, like, on WB-11. They would play, like, Saturday nights, and it was just... The weirdest show to catch on and off as a little kid because <laughs> randomly Zeno would be seducing Hercules or Ares, God of War, and then next thing she's, like, making out Gabrielle, who's a woman. And, like, it it really was surreal for me as as a very young child. But I love Lucy Lawless. I, I, I could
0: see that.
1: Oh, she's no, no. She's amazing. She is fantastic. I will yeah. 1,000% give you that. Now, Hercules, on the other hand, corny. I didn't like... I never liked Hercules and... Kevin Sorbo is a huge turd, so. He's a piece of shit. Fuck you, Kevin Sorbo. If you listen to this, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) So we had some homework the next episode of Twin Peaks. Episode two, Traces to Nowhere. But before we get into that, I wanted to announce a little contest that we'll be doing. So pay attention because it's a little complicated and I don't care. To celebrate Twin Peaks Day this month, we'll be giving away the Twin Peaks Television Collection Blu-ray box set. The set contains all 29 episodes of the original seasons, all 18 parts of the limited event series, and a whole bunch more commentary stuff filled with behind the scenes special features. So in order to enter, make sure you follow HorrorPress LLC and HPTV Podcast on Instagram, like the giveaway post when it's posted, it's not up yet, but it will be soon, tag a friend in that post. So those three steps, okay? Now for the fourth and complicated one, solve the mystery. <laughs> Okay, any fan of Twin Peaks should be able to get this one. There's a special four-letter word that must be discovered. The first person who figures out the word while doing all the steps before will instantly win the box set. The first letter, and this is the only freebie you're going to get, is the letter W. The next letter will be included in the next episode. The other two letters will be included in a social media post and in our newsletter. So if you're not signed up, you better sign up and sign up soon. The first person to follow the step, decipher the letters, and email their answer to contact at horrorpress.com will instantly win the prize. If no one figures out the word, the winner will be selected at random on Monday, February 26th. Do you think they got that?
0: I think they did. And if not, you can just replay it back.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Plus, I'll, I'll put instructions in the Instagram post. And we believe in you all. You're fans of Twin
0: Peaks. You you like mystery. You like solving things. You like putting together clues. I like putting together clues. Um, I don't even know what the word is. You know, I, I'm curious to see if I can figure out. I won't say what it is. Cause so what it, was the first letter?
1: Uh, W. There's a lot of W words. There are. Wombat. <laughs> You're right. That is a W word. Willard. <laughs> Underrated movie. Do you like the original or the remake?
0: Oh, the Crispin Glover. Ew. Crispin Glover just being a fucking weird man with rats. I love it.
1: I mean, it was basically a continuation of the Charlie's Angel guy. The Char- Is he in a Charlie's Angels movie? Are we talking about the remake? Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about the remake. He was a villain in the one of the newer Charlie's Angel movies and he was literally a weirdo sniffing Drew Barrymore's hair
0: he's a weirdo in everything he
1: does in the, the
0: Wizards of Gore remake he plays the magician and he's uh, just anything he does he's weird and it's
1: great so I assume you watched this episode right I did I did too that's good. I'm I you know I was very happy to see how short it was compared to the pilot.
0: Oh, th- this episode felt like 15 minutes compared to that.
1: Yeah, it was a breeze, but actually I'm I am so glad I did not give the pilot a perfect score. Because I think this episode was better than the pilot, and I don't want to oh. give away my score yet, but I did think it was better than the pilot. All right. So, the plot of the episode The day after Laura Palmer's murder, special agent Dale Cooper continues his investigation, questioning several suspects connected to the victim, including Laura's secret boyfriend James Hurley and her best friend Donna Hayward. That's all we get. So we start the episode with Dale Cooper's voice, talking to his voice thingy, and he says, Diane, 618 AM, room 315, great northern hotel up here in Twin Peaks, slept pretty well, non-smoking room, there's no tobacco smell. That's a nice consideration for the business traveler. A hint of Douglas fir needles in the air. Clean, reasonably priced accommodations. And then you see that he's actually hanging upside down like a bat. Um, I've always seen these type of things on infomercials in the 90s, but I never actually saw anyone using them. Yeah, I... I, I know a few
0: people who either used them or have used them. I I don't understand it. I think it fits perfectly for his character. Uh, what does it do? Is it like an ab workout or is it just like blood I, circulation? I think it's a mixture of blood circulation and muscle relaxation. Because you know when when you stand, all of your muscles compress. So when you hang, your muscles get that that chance to to extend themselves and get the, the lactic
1: acids out of them. Yeah, it's weird. Something that I could definitely picture Dale doing. I, I want to try it, but I know I would pass out. I want to try it, but I can guarantee that I would not be able to get down. <laughs> <laughs> and I would definitely, they would find me probably dead from all the blood rushing to my head. <laughs> There's no way. And he just, he simply tucks the little recorder into like his underwear and just, yeah, just flips, flips down like no big deal. Um, did you also see he has those weird suspenders for his socks? Yes, yes. Uh, I kind of want to pick, I I wear high
0: socks a lot because uh, I have bad circulation and cold feet. And my socks scrunch and I would very much love sock suspenders. I mean,
1: I'm sure you can get them. <laughs> it's just so I, random I, to I, see on a person.
0: It It is very mid-80s of him as a police detective,
1: FBI detective uh it it definitely definitely fits At, when he gets down um he goes back to talking to Diane and he asks some really dale affirming questions what really went on between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys and who really pulled the trigger on JFK i love that line it's very i i can picture not even knowing him that well like it seems like something dale would say or wonder about
0: what what year okay what year did the Warren Report come out? Do you remember the what? The Warren Report. The the report. Um. After JFK died, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson put through an executive order for the Warren Report. Uh, oh, it came out in '64. Okay, which was to dispel the rumors of any conspiracy theories behind the murder of of JFK. And the Warren Report came out and basically just started the idea of modern conspiracy and I kind of wonder I I have a feeling that Cooper is the type of person who would have read the Warren report and even though he's of rational body and mind it would have turned him into a JFK truther a little bit and I just I think that's hysterical
1: do you think Dale Cooper would have been one of those people that thinks JFK is going to come back (laughs) oh no he's too smart for Q (laughs) yeah
0: yeah or maybe you know like just the right part of his brain is off and not not the right side the correct part of his brain is off for him to take those conspiracy theories you know what i'm going to change my mind dale cooper could possibly be q
1: i think he would entertain the theories but then probably like reel himself back into reality you don't think Okay, so kind of like you and I, how that
0: one discussion we had
1: of... The good conspiracies? Yes,
0: yes, the good conspiracies. And I I can play with the idea of, oh, wouldn't it be funny if there are some lizard people that run the earth? And then you take a step back and you're like, okay, that's actually very anti-Semitic. And the idea of it is funny, but in practice, it's a very harmful
1: ideology. We kind of fast forward to Dale at the diner, and we get to see like more of his iconic orders... And um, he's having a cup of coffee, and he just, like, loses his shit over this. And uh, he calls it a damn fine cup of coffee. And then he puts in his order for eggs, which I've never heard anyone order eggs over hard. Have you? Uh, I I think that's... Isn't that just another word for fried? Well, you can order your eggs fried in different ways, like sunny side up, over easy. I've never heard over hard. Which just means that they're solid, like they're not goopy.
0: <laughs> oh, that's disgusting! And, hey, that's like I've we... never
1: heard of fried eggs where the yolk is completely solid.
0: Uh, that I I can't imagine how dry, and <sighs> smelly.
1: Oh Jesus! He also orders bacon, super crispy, almost burnt, cremated, <laughs> and some grapefruit juice. I I like how he makes that distinction
0: between almost burnt. And then cremated.
1: <laughs> How do you like your bacon?
0: Um, a little bit of a crisp to it, but I want those fat parts to be wiggly and chewy.
1: I don't like it when it's totally soft.
0: Oh yeah, I, no that that's no,
1: no no flaccid bacon. I like my bacon to be firm. So, but so not when cremated. You, so, so when you hold it by the side, it stands straight out. Yeah. Okay. But not like to the point where it's just like. Crumbly. Okay. Because I've had crumbly bacon before. Yeah, I'm not. Mm. How about coffee? How do you take your coffee?
0: Coffee, I do a pinch of sugar and
1: uh, a little splash of milk.
0: Just just enough to take the little bitterness, a little bitterness off of it.
1: I like my coffee black. I only do iced coffee. Iced coffee black for Splenda. But growing up, like, as a Hispanic... (laughs) I basically was drinking coffee since I'm like three years old. Yeah. But when we drink it, it's we drink more milk than water. So it's basically like a dessert coffee every morning.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Have Have you been seeing that one thing making the viral rounds again uh, of the people who put a slab of butter in their coffee
1: or like I've a seen, piece of cheese? I've seen it. And also a lot of people are skipping sugar and using salt oh, because they okay. say the salt cuts the bitterness, but I I couldn't. No, I don't know. You know, the the weird thing is growing up, I would have my coffee and I would have bread with butter and we would dip the bread and butter into the coffee. So naturally there would be a lot of like oily butter on the top. So it can't be that weird. I, I tried it once. It's not awful. It makes the coffee a little
0: bit silkier, but it's it's I'm used to my coffee one singular way. So I was like, I tried it once. I can say I tried it and that's enough yeah i don't know if
1: i'd want like an actual stick of butter in my coffee no <laughs> so we see audrey prance into the diner or the restaurant i don't know are they in the diner or are they just in like uh, the, the restaurant in the hotel
0: yes it's it's the the restaurant the the food
1: area that's connected to the 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 great northern so the great northern is the one with the damn fine cup of coffee then mm-hmm. and i was a little put off by this whole exchange between them because you know, Audrey is in high school. Yes, she's a high school girl, and it feels very flirtatious between them.
0: I, you know, I, I think that's the interesting thing about her character is she wants to be able to have her way every point, every every moment of the day. She wants to be able to always control the situation. So I think she's trying to lay the groundworks with Coop of, oh, woe is me! I'm just an innocent little rich girl. Um, I can never do no bad. Uh, and I, do you think he falls for this, this guys?
1: I think he does a little bit, but I think he checks himself a little bit because she says something along the lines of she was my friend and he kind of like makes a face. Oh yes. Like, okay. like this is weird. Like I don't, I don't pick you up as Laura's friend or something like that, but then he seems very taken in and smitten by her advances i i I would agree she makes this really weird comment like she shows a ring and then she asks him are your palms itchy but it it seemed very very inappropriate for a high schooler and and dale but also like you find out ronette is also a high schooler and she's in a fucking porn mag yeah so uh, i mean the 90s were a different time i guess it's i don't know this was on like cbs or abc or whatever no one thought that was weird back then. We'll we'll, we'll see where this relationship goes. Well, and we kind of get another weird piece of dialogue that makes absolutely no sense. That the fact that her brother Johnny is mm-hmm. twenty seven and still in the third grade. Like I don't know if the, the writers were trying to make a joke, <laughs> because it's just so random.
0: I honestly can't even remember if we ever meet any other
1: member of the horn family well i think in episode one don't you hear johnny freaking out in the background oh do you i think so you i don't know if you see him but you definitely hear him freaking out okay um but she mentions that laura was johnny's tutor that's how they knew each other Laura was tutoring Johnny three times a week and she mentions that Johnny has emotional problems and it runs in the family. So um, <laughs> is she also including herself in that? I, I I, would think that
0: might have been a bit of a Freudian slip on her part, maybe. Because she's kind
1: of putting her cards on the table with that. Um, so after that, Dale heads to the police department. And this was another really weird thing. Everyone had food in their mouth and they were all mumbling to him. Like the whole scene, he just goes from person to person and everyone's got a donut in their mouth and they're just like talking with a mouthful. You can barely understand them. He has a full-blown conversation with, with the sheriff and the guy's just chewing. Uh,
0: Yeah, I, I like this as kind of an example of the the dichotomies of their job because at the end of the day, they're both law enforcement officers for law enforcement agencies. One of them, uh, works happens to work for one of the biggest, the FBI. And, you know, he's, he's fast talking for the most part to the point. Uh, I'm here to do a job. Let's get this job done. And on the other hand, you have these small town officers who at the most will probably have to deal with a DV issue here and there. Um, And so for them, this is just the morning. They don't really have anything on the books. They're kind of at the whim of of Cooper here. And he just caught them at a time where they're all just sitting around chilling.
1: They're just stuffing their face with donuts. But like, as I'm picking up with Twin Peaks, we go from these moments of like levity to like Mm -hmm. terrible, atrocious things. Because the next scene, they're discussing the autopsy of Laura Palmer. And they're basically discussing all these heinous things that had happened to her. So according to the autopsy reports, the time of death was estimated to be between midnight and 4 a.m. Her death was caused from a loss of blood from shallow wounds. She had bite marks on her shoulders and on her tongue, lesions on her wrists, ankles, and arms where she was bound. And they were waiting for toxicology reports. In the past 12 hours, they found that she had sexual relations with at least three men. Like, how do we go from bumbling cops stuffing their face with donuts to this? Very, very dark. I, I almost wonder
0: if if David Lynch and Mark Frost kind of felt that they needed these moments of not not just weirdness, but... Uh, I, and I don't want to say comedy, but these these standout moments to kind of take the audience out of the true atrocities that have happened to these two women in this town.
1: They also mention that they believe that the perpetrator is the same one that attacked Ronette, so Laura and Ronette were both attacked by the same people. Crazy. And then, of course, from this dark stuff, um, we get to see Leo's truck, and I think they like focus in on it, and we find out his truck's name is big pussycat leo was um shelly's or is shelly's husband boyfriend uh husband and she's we find out in episode one that she's cheating on him and um he's definitely a jerk oh he's a piece of shit yeah big time jerk um he's making shelly do his laundry and clean his boots he hands Shelly this bag of laundry. She's like, he mentions, did you finish my laundry? And she's like, yeah, I did it all. And he goes, no, you didn't. Here's another bag. And she goes and she goes to do it. And she discovers a bloodied pair of pants, I think. Uh, his, I can't tell t- what t- it A is. jacket. Yeah. It, it's something like denim. Yeah. And it's covered in blood, which kind of, I don't know if they're just trying to lead you to think that it's Leo that is the killer. This episode, I feel like they do a lot of that they plant several seeds for for leo or for multiple people for multiple people okay okay yes i i see what you mean leo is the first of a bunch this episode i think Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and and she she doesn't put the shirt in the washer correct she takes it yes okay
1: because later on in the episode he freaks out like where's my shirt we get to see james being interrogated by dale and the sheriff james has a clean record but he's been placed under arrest for the murder okay Dale shows James the video of the two girls dancing and they appear to be doing some dumb version of the Macarena. I don't know. It's a a very (laughs) random dance. Like, why are they doing that? Who does that? I feel like it was uh, David Lynch was just like, all right, you're
0: carefree and dance. But they're like synchronized, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the most random assortment of moves. Dale asks if he was the one recording them. James tries to like play it cool and he stays quiet, but then Dale points out the motorcycle that's seen in the video, and James admits that he was the one that was actually recording them. Dale mentions that it would have been impossible to keep the relationship a secret, but James mentions it was only a secret because Laura wanted it to be that way. Which is weird, right? This high school sweetheart is just getting darker and darker. Like We find out a lot about her in this episode. Oh yeah. Um, so you find out that she was the one wanting to keep this a secret. And James also mentions the fact that Laura was indeed using cocaine, which the sheriff refused to believe that could have been the case. But James says that he never did it with her and always tried to get her to stop. Apparently Um, she did stop using it. Um, but then she started using it again because something scared her. What were you going to say?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I was just going to mention that he reveals he was with her the night that she died, um, but something happened to her recently, as you just said, and she got off the bike and ran away, and that was
1: the last time he saw her. It's so weird. She So, this high school sweetheart, everyone loved her, pure as can be, supposedly, escapes the house at 930, sees the guy that she's sleeping around with and then just disappears into the night at 12 30 at night
0: and how do i want to say this you know i you uh true crime is a really big thing right it has been for a long time but you know uh, we've listened to a uh, hundreds of hours of 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 true crime content i would assume and i that that's always one of the the funniest excuses well I was the last one to see her, but, uh, oh, she just happened to get off my bike and run away. Uh, and I I like how Dale is, Cooper is intuitive enough where he knows that James isn't the murderer, but uh, he just kind of lets him run with this truth, which to the audience, you can either believe this is a truth or you can take it as a falsity and i like this idea of of david lynch le- leaving this whole
1: idea up to the audience about whether or not james is telling the truth and and the fact that also we know at least based off of the autopsy report she left into the night at 12:30 and they believe she died around 4:30 so i wonder what happened between that span of time
0: she had to would have come in contact with at least three men unless james was one of them Unless James was one of them.
1: James claims that they had a bit of a fight because she stated that she couldn't see him anymore. And then Dale shows him half of her locket and asks him about it. I think at this point, Dale kind of, like, pulls out her diary because she must have mentions or writes something in there that on February 5th something happened. Yeah. yeah. And um, James kind of has a flashback, which was very weird. Um, He kind of remembers Laura telling him that she finally truly believes that he loves her. And then she handed him the other half. So that's mm-hmm. we kind of get that story. But I don't know, like, do you think that this is believable? Or do you think he's, like, hamming it up? I find it to be very unrealistic,
0: uh, unnatural. I would say... There is no point of view in this show there is no singular character that we are getting this story told from you know for desperate housewives uh brenda is the pov even though she's dead you know you have all these shows where even if it's an ensemble cast there's usually one specific character who's telling it from either stories they've heard or their exact point of view and uh lynch does this thing where you see from what i gather you see the flashback from that character's point of view based on how they recollect the events so i will say based on what we see in this flashback i believe that is how james would have possibly interpreted the event and that's not spoiling anything whatsoever i promise Mm -hmm. um I, i i just think that these flashbacks whenever you see one from a specific character, it is how they specifically recollect that event, not what the absolute truth is.
1: So you don't think he's a bit of like an unreliable narrator or anything?
0: No, I At I least think, not according to him.
1: Yes, I think David Lynch is the unreliable narrator. So we see Leo back at the house and he's freaking out because his shirt is missing. This is the shirt that we saw earlier that Shelley found that was covered in covered blood. Covered in blood. It's kind of weird that she would know enough to hide it or take it, right? You would think that if she trusted her partner or believed that he didn't have something, you know, if he wasn't capable of such a thing, she wouldn't have thought anything of it, right?
0: I think she does think she's capable of those things because I, not to, I'll use an example from later on in this episode, but when she gets home from work, he does the old army trick of, of putting, uh, uh, Soap in a tube sock and goes to beat the shit out of her. So I th- I think she absolutely believes that he would do this, something like this. And uh, I think she's kind of using it as
1: um, an insurance policy. I didn't even think about that. It makes sense, though. Also, before we get there, that house is like a hell house. Oh, my God.
0: It, it looks is... like a serial killer home. I was going to say white trash, but. Well, <laughs> yeah, <thing>. that. just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, no, the the walls are unfinished. You can uh, use plastic insulation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Okay, so then we see the two guys in the jail still, Bobby and Mike. Mike is the blonde guy that we've been just randomly calling the blonde guy. I've been
0: calling him Snake in my notes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he calls him Snake at one point, too. They mention Leo calling and asking where the other half of the money was. James paid half of the money to Leo the night that Laura died. He mentions that the other half was with Laura in her safe deposit box and we, and was supposed to give it to him the next day. So there we go. We find out what all that cash was in the previous episode. And the boys are terrified of Leo. They really treat him as if he's like a killer. A kingpin, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder what they were doing. We never really find out, at least not yet, but between the coke and the cash, I'm assuming they're running drugs into the town. I don't know. Something weird. I will not comment on that we're met with another dreamy flashback and this time it's just laura and donna dancing and laura randomly says help me in like a creepy ghost-like tone and then we see donna come down the stairs and she sees her mom she tells her what happened and she admits that laura and james had been seeing each other for the past two months and that james was grateful laura but that she too was falling in love with him and now she feels like she's betrayed her best friend laura
0: and and there's that beautiful line uh, she says uh, she feels like it feels like she's in a beautiful dream and a terrible nightmare and I, I think that that's kind of the epitome of
1: this entire show definitely there's there's such a dreamy quality sprinkled throughout all these episodes so far well there's mm-hmm. only been two but you definitely feel it so we're back at the police station now and Big Ed is there and the sheriff asked Dale, "How's that coconut?" Because I, I guess like he hurt himself.
0: It was a uh, big uh, uh. Bobby punches Big Ed at the fight er, during the fight at the bar in the pilot episode when, when uh Donna sneaks out of the house to go to the bar, to meet with James. Big Ed is one of the people that gets punched in the
1: face. Is it though? Because later on he acts like he unless he's trying to save face because he acts like he never made it to the fight because someone drugged him and he kind of like passes out because i had thought the same thing okay so that there's not much i can say about that at the
0: moment but i i think in the next episode or two if um i'll I'll put a mark down i think we should revisit that question or that that you're raising a little
1: later Okay. So, you're you're younger than I am. Do you remember long-distance calls sounding different?
0: No, but I do... I think I might have been, like, right at the cusp of that when I was a wee lad. I do remember I wasn't allowed to make long-distance calls on my cell phone, but I don't remember any call quality difference.
1: Well, I it just stood out to me because I completely forgot that back in the day... A long-distance call definitely did sound different. And Lucy, of course, the dialogue. Lucy Lucy has to comment on that. I love Lucy. Lucy's just, like, such a cute, endearing character. Uh, She's such a shining light in this show. She mentions that the long-distance call is uh, coming from a guy named Mr. Albert Rosenfeld. Oh, fucking Albert. We don't see him, I don't think, in this episode at all. Um, You just hear Dale talking to him. Albert. Oh, Albert. So, yeah, while he's on the phone with Albert... Dale is hyping up the lamp later in, and Mm -hmm. he, of course, mentions how the cherry pie will kill you. So they cut now to the Twin Peaks General Store. (laughs) Your favorite lady. My favorite lady, Drapes, a.k.a. Nadine. um, She comes across Norma, and I'm not sure, okay? I don't think we, we have it explicitly said yet, but I have a feeling Drapes knows about Big Ed and Norma or has caught them in the past and thinks that that's over because there's definitely tension between the two of them. But it's, it's kind of hard to tell with how drapes is like gushing about her drapes and how she was almost humble bragging about installing these new drapes in her home Mm -hmm. and how they are beige sheer, which I honestly remember being such a thing in the nineties, that color um
0: yeah because i i think there's a line in the first episode it's someone talking to ed i think it's sheriff truman where he alludes to uh something like you and norma are back at it again someone has that conversation so yeah i i think that you're, you're right on the money with that they've done it in the past and uh drapes which i in my notes instead of writing nadine i wrote drapes uh um She's still kind of wary
1: of that, but also trying to move forward. She also has a bag of cotton balls, which she is, like, trying to use to make her drapes quiet, silent. Yeah. I don't don't know how that's going to work. Like, is she going to pad the the tracks that the drapes are on with cotton? But she has brown bags full of cotton. And she's very proud of her idea that she, like, figured out at 4 a.m. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and it is interesting i would say that that the 4 a.m time is specific to that and
1: around the time that laura was murdered yeah so she mentions big ed was in the hospital at 4 a.m right mm-hmm. this was the night of the fight so were those kids out at that club the roundhouse that late I would. I, I doubt that they finally got him to the hospital by that hour, right? Right. All the cops were there. Four in the morning, that's crazy. It didn't feel that late. No, because uh,
0: Donna... I I guess, you know, we, we have to think about how long would it take Donna to ride her bike from the house to the bar? Say, 30 minutes, maybe, because the town... It's not it's not big. It's not a big town, but it's hilly and things are the bars obviously far away. Uh, You know, by the time the police got there, maybe an hour. I don't know. I I think uh, the the 4 a.m. time seems it does seem a bit long, but maybe uh, we're trying to stick with that idea of, you know, everyone says like 3 a.m. is the witching hour. Uh, maybe it's this idea of in, in Twin Peaks, 4 a.m. is the time that shit goes down.
1: Yeah. So Dale tells Mike and Bobby they're free. Dale does off a whistle, which I'm assuming is what he's been whittling. Yes. So uh, I don't know. And pay off. How the hell? <laughs> That's, that has to be hard. Like, how the hell are you whittling a whistle? Like, think about it. You got to, like, make it and then you have to, like, hollow it out. That's crazy. Without Google. It,
0: it, you're supposed to be solving a crime here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, he also mentions the fact that if anything happens to James, it's going to be pinned on Mike and Bobby, yeah. as if that's going to prevent them from trying anything. Yeah.
0: Although so, I, I I do really like that power move from Coop. Like, that's a fucking power move.
1: Uh, so the sheriff and Dale show up at Mrs. Packard's home. They offer them coffee, and <laughs> Pete Martell... <laughs> Could I are, think, are you going to give us the quote I think he should give us the quote
0: on top of the morning to you <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> and um, Pete Martell asks Dale how he takes his coffee and Dale responds with black he has a moon this night Dale asks Mrs. Packard about Laura
0: <laughs> I just looked ahead at one of your notes and it's my favorite part sorry go ahead
1: about about the coffee oh
0: yeah okay. sorry
1: continue Dale asked Mrs. Packard about Laura. Apparently Laura was meeting with her to teach her English. So Laura is just like the town tutor because yeah. she's helping Johnny, the 27-year-old third grader, and now he's she's teaching Jocelyn English, which is pretty impressive. Three years, right? She's yeah. picked up – she's a very good English speaker. Um, and
0: also, can you just imagine uh, how Laura could get into any college with this fucking resume that she has here? Yeah. She has done so much what we would probably consider nonprofit profit work uh, like and he's school. I wonder if this was just like a, a big plan just to get in like
1: Harvard or something. Um, she says that the last time she saw her was Thursday afternoon at five and she left after an hour when their session finished. Laura seemed bothered and Mrs. Packard said that Laura said something weird and mentioned, I think now I understand how you feel about your husband's death, but did not say what it was referring to. And then Jocelyn gets up to take a call. Dale immediately picks up on the fact that the sheriff has been seeing Mrs. <laughs> Backard. And the sheriff mentions they've been seeing each other for six weeks. This is um, randomly another crazy quote for the episode. I don't know his name. What is his name? Pete. Oh, that's what you were referring to. Yeah. Pete storms in and is like, fellas, don't drink that coffee. You'll never guess there was a fish in the percolator.
0: Wait, hold on. Can I try? Fellas, yeah. don't. Try. I can't do it. I thought I could do a jack Nance. You'll never guess there was a fish in the percolator.
1: That's <laughs> so random.
0: Because <laughs> first, first of all, how do
1: you get a, how do you get a fish accidentally in a percolator? Because like we see right before uh, Coop and
0: the uh, uh, the the sheriff show up, Pete is doing something with fish on a cutting board, and the percolator is right next to the fish. And yet, yeah, how? Why is it in there? Uh, and it's just one of those moments where I'm like, I'm glad this exists. I'm also very curious about what it tastes like. Well, there is the line later on where where Coop says, "I still can't get the taste of that coffee out of my mouth,"
1: but yeah, he doesn't it's, say if it's that's good be or something bad. Insane. He doesn't say if it's good or bad. I'm assuming it's bad.
0: And uh, it, if you notice, when Pete comes over to tell them, Coop and the sheriff are taking a sip at the same time. The sheriff spits his out. In, back into the cup, and Coop swallows
1: his. Mm. I don't know what that says, but... We get to see Mrs. Packard speaking to her fully-dressed sister-in-law. I think it's important to realize she's fully-dressed in this conversation. She's told that shutting down the sawmill in the previous episode cost them $87,000, talks a whole lot of shit, and then hangs up. Then she's seen toasting a man off-camera. Uh, Jocelyn comes back to the room with Dale and the sheriff and asks what shenanigans means and then dale starts you know running off of the mouth with a bunch of definitions yeah <laughs> it's actually really cute when she comes in an ass it is yeah it, it's a very
0: pure moment where it, she knows that catherine is t- trying everything she can to ruin jocelyn in the only the only outward facing emotion that we see Jocelyn have from this conversation is asking what shenanigans means. And it's very pure and innocent and shows that, and to me, I think, shows that Jocelyn is one of the very pure characters in this show.
1: Yeah. So we cut back to Catherine and now she's nude, wrapped in a sheet or a blanket. And uh, she's speaking to a well-dressed man. I couldn't exactly tell who this was. Is this the same guy from episode one? That, uh, it's, um, it, is that it, the b- town meeting?
0: It's Ben Horn. It's um, uh, Audrey's dad. The guy that uh, owns the Great Northern.
1: Okay. It's very clear that they're working together to sabotage the sawmill, and he mentions the fact that more sab- um, more sabotages will help them to ruin the sawmill, and that more are coming. Which is, I think, another another seed that they're trying to plant. Oh like yeah. all and, the and, that have stakes in Laura Palmer's death.
0: And they're not subtle about it. Catherine mentions how it's full of dry timber and Ben says, all you need is a strong spark.
1: Yeah. Uh, they are not coy about this whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, in Audrey's dad, you know, I think they mentioned that he just wants more property. He basically wants to take over the town. Yeah. Yeah. He wants to be a
0: uh, big wig. Yeah.
1: Yeah. More or less. Then he starts kissing her toes. Mm, this mm, I'm telling mm, you, mm. Twin Peaks is horny AF. Yeah. I, I'm surprised they showed that on TV. Like Quentin Tarantino ruined <laughs> feet for me on screen. <laughs> so
0: now gonna... whenever
1: I see any foot action, I'm just like drawn to it instantly. And you know,
0: it's not it's not innately sexual as as you know the scene in From Dusk Till Dawn where Selma Hayek drips tequila down her foot in Tarantino's mouth. That's sexual. This I would say Tarantino ruined us because, you know, while he is kissing her toe in the nature that would lead to sex, it's not an overtly sexual kiss to her toes. Like he doesn't shove her big
1: toe like down his throat or anything. Um, Are we going to have like a Samuel Jackson, John Travolta conversation about inappropriate foot content. <laughs> so Donna now goes to visit Sarah, who is Laura's mom. Mm-hmm. And you can tell she's she's going through it. She's not doing well. No. And um, she she very clearly misses her daughter a lot. And I know I mentioned this in the previous episode. This show really does a good job of really driving home the fact that these people are enduring a lot of loss and are suffering. Because in a lot of TV shows or movies, they move on very quick. Yes. Yeah. And this mom is struggling. And um, she starts talking to her. And she sees Donna's face morph into... Loras. And she grabs onto her and starts holding her. And it cuts to this really... I was actually slightly scared in this You were moment. jump scared? It, it is relatively frightening. You see this random man just hunched over, like, next to, uh, I don't know, is it an armrest? And he's just, like, yeah. down there and just staring. And it's, it's very jarring. Um, and then she starts to scream. And in my note, I put that Lara's mom is legit and underappreciated scream queen because oh, she has given yeah. us scream after scream between episode one and two now, and it's 10 for 10.
0: Oh, yeah, no. she. Uh, I would say unparalleled. It's, it's one of the most piercing, guttural, emotion-filled screams that exists in horror. 10 out of 10, you said it
1: best. And um, the dad comes in and, you know... Tries to take care of his wife, but she is very unsettled. I too am unsettled, let me tell you. That man, that was creepy. I was, I really was not expecting that at all. Like it was very, it was very calm. The face changed. It was Laura. They play that, that dopey music. And then you get the creepy man. I I love it. I love it. Do you find out who the creepy man is? Yes. Okay. That's all I needed to know. Um, So we cut to the hospital now. And you see Ronette's parents and they're outside of her room. So this is how we kind of find out that Ronette was still in high school. So what the hell is she doing in a porn mag?
0: What is she doing in a porn mag? It's a great question. So by
1: day, she's like a high school student. By night, she works at like the perfume counter as a sales girl. And also she's making pornographic content on her OnlyFans. (laughs) 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 Like, how does that happen? And then we see a uh, one armed man walk out of an elevator, and the cop who's like patrolling there or something, or maybe standing guard, uh, Deputy he notices Hawk. him. What was yeah.
0: that? Uh, Deputy Hawk.
1: Yeah. He sees him, and clearly he notices that he's a little sus, and he follows him down the hall, but then loses track of him, and it's implied that he's going down to the morgue. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So we get our darling Audrey now. (laughs) And she's like blasting music and just dancing by herself. She's vibing. Yeah. Um, The music is blasting and her father comes in. He turns on the music. Wait, so is this the dad? Yeah, Ben Horn. Ben is her dad. So this is the one that's seeing Catherine. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he like busts into the room, cranky turns down the music and he confronts her about what happened with the Norwegians. Um, she quickly tries to spin the whole thing and manipulate the situation, but he gets angry and tells her if she ever does it again, we get a very interesting quote. If she ever does it again, she'll be scrubbing bidets in a Bulgarian convent. That's very oddly specific. I don't know why I it has to be a Bulgarian convent. I didn't realize they had bidets back then. That, that's what I took from that. <laughs> And also, like, does, it, does the fact that it's in Bulgaria and a convent make the bidets, like, extra worse? You would think it would make them nicer, right? Because
0: it is very interesting nonetheless. <laughs>
1: it's a very specific thing to say. <laughs> but his, and, um, his, his
0: next line broke my heart the first time Very I cutting.
1: It. Very cutting. Um, he says, Laura died two days ago. I lost you years ago. And then storms out of the room. Kind of really fucked up. Yeah,
0: and I I think uh, from that alone, it kind of puts Audrey's actions into perspective a little bit. He's obviously a rich, absent father where she can kind of do whatever she wants, whenever she wants. But she's still a child. She still needs that that guidance from some parental figure, and he's just an empty wallet or he uh, a bottomless wallet in a bed for her to stay in at night like it's 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 very sad
1: it's very clear that it is a cry for attention yes
0: even i think that's from what dale, i was to
1: say. even from dale when you know she shows the ring she's flirting she's she's like winking asking about his hairy palms like she's got daddy issues yeah
0: but who doesn't
1: ah uh, true <laughs> 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 we see bobby sitting at the dinner table with his parents. His father's in the military. And, you know, going into the scene, I know Bobby's a jerk. And yes. his dad starts talking to him. And I'm like, he's nice. Oh, his his dad, even the guy that plays his dad is a brilliant actor. In... I was really taken in by his little speech. And mm-hmm. then Bobby pulls out a cigarette, puts it in his mouth, and he gets slapped. Like, I was shocked. I was not expecting it. He gets slapped so hard, the cigarette, like is a thing of meatloaf
0: <laughs> and the mom the mom's just sitting there like well there goes my dinner also did you notice the only thing that they had on their plate was one
1: singular slice of meatloaf you know it was weird at the time for sure but a part of me was like is this normal <laughs> you eat all of your food one piece at a time it's strange to me that nowadays in like our era meatloaf isn't really eaten that often oh, it's, it's like an old timey I- dish
0: I get, I get the turkey meatloaf from Whole Foods like every other day. It's so I crazy. Like it. meatloaf is just not common anymore, I don't think. I, I do agree. Meatloaf needs to be in more places. Bacon wrapped meatloaf, like smothered so in barbecue sauce and broiled. Ooh, mama mia.
1: Have you ever had meatloaf with like a layer of ketchup on top?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, ketchup meatloaf.
1: Hmm, so good.
0: Oh, it is. Thank you. I thought you were going to say it's awful and I was going to no. be self-conscious.
1: no. <laughs> I love it, um, so yeah, he slaps him squarely in the face, but I mean, he had it coming,
0: oh, he really, one
1: thousand percent, like the dad was really empathizing with him with what was going on, and like, I understand you're being rebellious, it's your job as a teen, <coughs> and then. In an act of defiance, he, like, goes to light a cigarette and just gets the shit slapped out of him. And, you know, if you think about it, that's
0: even—that's such a dick move, on obviously, on Bobby's part. Because his dad basically said, I'm giving you a pass on how you've been recently. All you need to do is clean up your act just a little bit. You know, implying, be nice to me, be nice to your mother, don't beat the shit out of James. And Bobby just basically gives him the double middle fingers— with with the pulling out the, the cigarette and i i think it's very indicative of of the character of bobby
1: well it really calls into question laura's built up to be this pure popular girl what is she doing with him yeah he, why well, is he, everyone he's, surprised that she's not embroiled in all this mess considering the company she keeps
0: no and and that, that that's a completely fair question to ask because you know bobby's basically like what a uh, a Calvin Klein model um you know he his, his his perfectly uh rustled hair you know he wears he wears the 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 jean jacket over the flannel over the t-shirt you know like he's he's that like that bad boy archetype but Laura is just such a sweet person and so many women in this show are with just completely abhorrent men and it's sad
1: yeah So now we're finally at the Double R Diner with Dale and the sheriff. Shelly is the waitress, and she offers a slice of their pie. And she really gets Dale's attention because she says that it's the best in the Tri-County. Dale comments that he can still taste the fish-filtered coffee from Jocelyn's. (laughs) And he spots Log Lady at the diner. She's, of course, holding the log. And Dale kind of like... Pokes the sheriff and is like, can we ask about the log? Has anyone asked about the log? And the sheriff responds with, many have. We get a very weird moment, okay? Because the log lady comes over. Clearly, she overheard them and she goes, for your information, I heard you speaking about Laura Palmer. One day, my log will have something to say about this. My log saw something that night. Dale asks what it saw. And log lady shows the log. She kind of like opens her arms a little. And she shows the log, which has strangely enough childlike arms and says, <laughs> ask it. And Dale stays quiet and Log Lady affirms, I thought so, and walks off. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell is this?
0: It's It's just one of those things where Dale exudes weird, weird energy. He does weird things, says weird things. And I like how even someone with a log this amorphous log uh even that is too weird for him
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) understandably because it's a log so we're kind of like in the final hour of the episode Mm -hmm. we see leo now cutting open a football with a knife which is very weird and he hears shelly coming home and he quickly takes that football that he now opened up and hides it above the cabinet and when she gets in she's got like a brown bag full of groceries or something, I think. Or is she, no, she says she brings him. She brought him pie.
0: Yeah, because because earlier before he was leaving, he said I'll swing by the diner later for a p- uh, save me a piece of pie, yeah. and presumably he never does. So she's like, maybe he won't hit me tonight if I bring home a piece of
1: pie. I wonder if she clocked that he would figure out that the shirt was missing because he right away confronts her about it. It because yeah, he refers to
0: it as his favorite shirt, which either means it is his favorite shirt or he knew that it was covered in
1: blood and he realized it was missing. Yeah. So he takes a bar of soap and stuffs it in a sock and at this point Shelly knows she's in for it and she kind of starts moving back and huddles into a corner in a very unfinished room like we're talking about wood frame and plastic and he starts swinging it like a fucking nunchuck. The scene kind of cuts to black and do you hear her screaming i think so uh ha-
0: have you heard of sock parties before i think i saw a movie was it full
1: metal jacket where I, they do yeah. something like that yeah and they do it because it doesn't leave bruises yeah, yeah i mean that's shelly's like this little tiny thing like how fucked up is that
0: and and again that that goes back to my point shelly is beautiful she has a job she's able to provide for herself she has so many friends and she's so outgoing and bubbly, and then she comes home to this scumbag. Like,
1: I can't even imagine pummeling someone. Like, that has to hurt. A bar of soap? Oh, yeah. Finally, we get to see James coming over, and he's meeting Donna's parents. I kind of I kinda pointed out the fact that Eileen is in an electric wheelchair, which is surprising, considering this was 1990. Like, I can only imagine how much an electric wheelchair cost.
0: Yeah, and he's... I, I mean, I guess I can assume that the county mortician probably ha- makes a decent
1: salary. Oh, he's the mortician. Yeah, because he's he's that. the one that, yeah, he couldn't do the autopsy on Laura because he delivered uh, her. That's what that comment was about. I get it now. Yeah. And, I mean, they, they get along pretty well, surprisingly. Oh, yes. James and Donna's parents. Yeah. I mean, they, they make James out to be, like, the dirtbag, but he's really, like, the nice one. He's polite. He uh he's
0: like um yes i would please perchance can i have a cup of uh fruit punch please
1: (laughs) fruit punch god how do they get fruit punch to be red like what kind of fruits are in that or is it just food coloring what flavor is fruit punch uh
0: isn't fruit punch supposed to be uh pineapple strawberry and mango does that sound right
1: I've always associated fruit punch with the flavor of throw up. So, oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, I think growing up, just so many like birthday parties for kids leading mm. to throw up has just completely ruined Hawaiian punch for me. I, I worked at a bowling
0: alley in high school, uh, and they would do. I would work Saturdays and Sundays, and that was always the days the kids had their birthday parties there. And for some reason, the idiots that had built this bowling alley had white tables and uh the two drinks that the kids could get were either mountain dew or fruit punch and so i would always have these giant pitchers of fruit punch and at the end of my shift i would have to spend hours like trying to get the fruit punch stains off these white porcelain tables um fuck fruit punch Ugh.
1: and then it like gets syrupy and stuck
0: oh my, it's disgusting you know I mean, there was I'm, no I'm,
1: coke or I, pepsi I, I,
0: There was, but the two drinks that the kids could have in pitcher size. Although I would prefer the kids having fruit punch over Mountain Dew because that was a recipe for disaster.
1: Finally, at the very end of the episode, we see a weird guy in a blue room listening to a recording of Laura. She's talking to Dr. Jacoby. It seems, or it's implied at least from what I heard, that they were also in a relationship. I think it was more... Uh, from
0: from the context clues here, I think that it's supposed to be more of a professional relationship that has gone into a bit of a friendly relationship, where they kind of both relied on each other.
1: Yeah. But, so then, but
0: th- this is this is the the weird guy that you had mentioned in the first episode at the hospital.
1: Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, while he's listening to this, he grasps for a coconut opens it and the other half of the heart pendant is in it weird why a coconut and why does the sheriff ask about his coconut to Big Ed? that was the first thing I want to ask like I thought it was very weird that they chose to say how's the coconut
0: oh
1: oh okay I see what you're saying I this I... makes me think because we're gonna get into who did it yes yes and we have like a full-on buffet this episode to Correct. um i
0: think that 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 might that just might have been a colloquialism mixed with coincidence you know like growing up you know i if i would get a bump on a head sometimes my mom would call it a goose egg my stepdad would be like oh it uh, looks like a coconut you know like that i think was more of a colloquialism than anything and that was sheriff truman just trying to
1: kind of you don't have, think it's weird, though. Like, I, I the writer. I, now now had that you to say
0: it, now that you say it, I I do think it's strange. But also, Doctor Jacoby kind of gives off those uh relaxed Hawaiian pothead vibes. True. And like the room, I okay, the I love room's room weird, but I liked it. Oh, it's amazing that that audio setup he has with the headphones that has the cord that stretches like twenty five feet. Oh my god, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was I was taken back by the room. I thought it was really cool. I kind of want a room just like that.
0: Now, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the heart pendant that he pulls out of the coconut is the one from that we see get buried in the first episode? It has to be.
1: You think there's multiple heart pendants?
0: Oh, I, I'm just asking. I'm ask. I'm asking you b- based on you know what you've seen so far. Do you think? Well, that...
1: considering Laura Palmer got around, I wouldn't be surprised if she was handing out heart pendants left and right. I mean, why not? <laughs> At this okay. point, why not? Um, I would assume that this would be the other half that we saw. Especially the episode one ended with the heart pendant. Basically, why wouldn't it end episode two with the heart pendant again? But you're right. I think it's just too obvious, and I know that this show is, it gets crazy, so I'm assuming it's too obvious. So, honestly, I think the sister-in-law is too obvious, too. Okay, so we're talking about who you think
0: the killer is now. Yeah,
1: the okay. who did it. Um, I want to say it's Big Ed.
0: You want to say Big Ed? Okay.
1: I think is, is there any specificities for that? I think Big Ed and the sheriff are in on the drug ring, and she got caught up in it.
0: Fascinating. Okay.
1: Because it seems like Bobby and Mike know Big Ed. So this is me just just stream of consciousness. I'm going to take a big of fucking course. swing. Drapes is like the kingpin. <laughs> 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 Drapes with her badass eye patch is like the drug lord, the cartel in Twin Peaks. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay.
1: I like where you're going with this. She's the she's the head honcho that's like ruling the roost and her minions. The second command is Big Ed followed by Bobby and Mike and Leo. Okay. Okay. But I this fought, is just me with just it. making up shit episode two. I have no idea. All right. All right. But I think Big Ed is in on it. Maybe the sheriff too. Ooh. Okay, I like it. I, I like your train of thought. So, quote. Is Dale Cooper gonna get the quote this this week? I. Or are we gonna give it to Pete?
0: I mean that that is that is a really good line. There there is a line that I like in here. I'm I'm trying to find it. Oh, um, it's, it's kind of a, a quote that, that just kind of passes by, and there's no real moment for it. But when Coop and Truman are at the double R, Shelley, uh, Shelley asks them what they want, and uh, coffee and pie. And Shelley says, sure thing. And Coop goes, nothing's a sure thing, Shelley. And I like that. And I think that's kind of going back to what I was saying earlier. That's kind of the point of this show. I feel like even if they tell you something that you have a question, even if they answer a question, nothing is a sure thing in this show. And I think that's kind of what it all boils down to, really. But I do think Pete takes, or, or we could say Josie's line, um, what is shenanigans? Uh, there's a lot of good lines in
1: this episode. There was a fish in the percolator and what is shenanigans are definitely my top two. But I like that line that Dale says to Shelly nothing's a sure thing
0: do we have a three-way tie i think, and I think it should be a two-way tie though between josie and pete because oh those are those are two bangers of a line
1: <laughs> i mean are we really gonna skip up skip on black as midnight on a moonless night oh my god yeah come on like that is such a badass thing to just like vomit out when someone asks how you take your coffee?
0: You know, next time I go to a coffee shop, I when they're like, how do you want your coffee? Like, I want to say that loud so people can hear me, and then I'll be like, Milk and a little bit of sugar, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, next time you're at like Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru,
0: okay. you got to say that and just okay. confuse
1: the hell out of them. <laughs> do not elaborate further. Oh, God. Character standouts. For me personally, the simplest one would say would be Log Lady, but... I got to give it to Dr. Jacoby. Oh, okay. I mean, come on. He's got that badass room, the stereo. He's living the life. Coconuts, fake coconuts. <laughs> fake coconuts. Was that a palm tree it was attached to? Like a I, fake yes. palm tree? Yeah.
0: Oh, a fake palm tree.
1: Uh, okay. That's insane. <clears throat>
0: I, I think my standout character, I almost, I almost said the name and that would probably be spoilery, uh, is the jump scare between Sarah and Donna, the the man crouched behind. Uh, he was
1: scary. That was scary. I was not expecting that. Honestly, <laughs> in my notes for our rating part,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if we want to decide this like live. What are we gonna rate this? One out of ten? Are we gonna go with coconuts? It has to be. It has to be. Coconuts. Or are we gonna go with percolated fish? Oh, damn it or shenanigans or shenanigans oh. <laughs> let's go with shenanigans okay okay so what would you rate this on a scale of one to ten shenanigans
0: ten ten shenanigans hands down i'm Another gonna give so ten? many i'm gonna give so many of these first episodes a 10 out of 10 i'm just letting you know right
1: now i thought this episode was way better than episode one and you gave I'm that an, give this one
0: you, you gave that one an eight correct i think i gave it an eight and a half
1: okay or an eight I'm going to give this one a nine out of 10 shenanigans.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: I I really like this episode. It, it literally like the deal was sealed when we got the scary man crouched. And then when we got Dr. Jacoby at the end with the fucking coconut insane.
0: You know, it, it I will say I, I didn't even put together that both episodes end with the locket. And I'm glad that you said that because that is a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I never put that together. Diane, we are coming to the end of another episode of HPTV. This week we covered a lot. The coffee at the Great Northern? Damn fine. The bacon was burnt to a crisp. You know how I like it just like that. More questions than answered. We let James and Bobby go out of holding... Albert called. I think he's coming to town soon. Ugh, Pete Martell gave us fish-flavored coffee, but more on that later. And it appears Donna and James are a couple now. Remember young love, Diane?
1: Until next time. Oh, and
0: who really did shoot JFK?
1: That was a perfect ending. We'll be back next week for episode three. Don't forget about the contest. Unless you're listening to this after the fact that it's over. <laughs> um, where can everyone follow you, Brendan? Uh most active
0: on twitter at spooky underscore underscore
1: guy and you can follow me um actually just follow horror press or <laughs> TV podcast on instagram and um, we'll see you next week for the next episode see ya